Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Vegas Therapist. I am your host, Ryan Winder. And remember, what's happening in Vegas is not staying in Vegas, as I bring you helpful tips and all sorts of topic areas, with a Vegas twist of course. So let's get the show started. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's good to have you in for another episode. I have a great show for you today with special guest, licensed marriage and family therapist Tyler Rich is joining the podcast to talk about the guy code and guys and emotions. We're going to debunk the guy code and try to help men in overcoming whatever beliefs, negative beliefs they have about sharing their emotion, sharing their emotions, whether that be because they feel it's weak or otherwise not necessary. Um, and maybe they've got to keep up an image of being tough or whatever it may be. We're going to dive into all that and try to help us to get more in touch with our emotions and be more willing to be vulnerable, um, that keyword vulnerability, and try to open up in whatever situation we are, whether it's our relationships or even with other men, uh, being able to talk more comfortably about how we're feeling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So looking forward to that. But before we get to my guests, just wanted to say hope everybody is doing well i know there's a lot going on out there right now a lot of turmoil um and just unrest you know start out with the covid thing that's been our thing for the last couple months and now the protests and everything that's going on so anyway hope everybody's staying safe and dealing with everything that they can in the right way um so it just a lot of stuff. Hopefully things can settle down for us and we can kind of start to get back to a sense of normalcy, but not forget the issues and, you know, not uh, obviously we need to be able to deal with some things that are going on and have a change of heart in the way that we treat people um, with a quality and with a better way of life. And so hopefully that won't get lost in all this chaos and all the rioting that's going on, but that we'll focus in on the real purpose, which is to bring about a quality uh, amongst the treatment of the human race and about black lives and and people that are of color that are not always treated fairly. Um, hopefully we can have some change in that in that area. All right. So also just wanted to point out that if you are already a member of the Facebook group page, um, that's great. You can find updates about the show and just topics that we t- we discuss on a daily or weekly basis there. If you haven't joined that, uh, please do so. The Facebook group page is the Vegas Therapist Podcast, Ryan Winder. You can also email me at thevegastherapist at gmail.com if you have any questions about the show or want to get in touch with me about any topics or anything that you might want to cover. Or if you're interested in any kind of coaching or things of that nature, I'd be happy to be that for you as well. So, all right. Like I said before, we have a great show and men, if you're listening, keep listening because this is for you. And if women you're listening, um, you can listen and then have your spouses or husbands or, or partners or boyfriends or whatever, uh, fathers, sons, listen, um, cause all the information that's going to be there is going to be helpful for them. So sit back, relax, and let's welcome in our guest. All right. Well, this time I'd like to welcome in my guest for today's show. Tyler Rich is joining us. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you so much, Ryan, for letting me be on here. Uh, good to have you. So, uh, Tyler, I just want to, if you could share with my listeners a little bit about yourself, kind of your practice, some of the things that you're currently doing right now in the field of therapy. 
Absolutely. So I am a licensed marriage and family therapist um, here in Las Vegas. Um, I actually just moved buildings. I was like a few office doors down from your office. Um, I decided I wanted to start a group practice. So I moved to a different location um, and I have therapists working under me. So we work with a lot of different things because um, it's a group practice. So we have lots of therapists there. So um, I focus on working a lot with like infidelity. I really specialize with working with men. Um, I tend to find a lot of couples that come in um, tend to find me because I can help men learn how to emotionally open up and be there for their partner. And like, I always try to tell the men I work with, there's a logic to emotion and I kind of teach them like a logical way to understand what's going on. So I do a lot of that. I work with men who are suffering through like porn or sexual compulsive behavior um, learning how to like curb that and really reconnect in healthy ways. So I run a recovery group. I have, um, I do YouTube channels where I do education like this. And then we also just started a podcast where me and uh, the colleagues at the group practice dissect Disney movies and look at the mental health stuff through like the lens of Disney. So those are a little bit of all of what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to those. I listen to the Iron Man one is like very good on the, Thank you. The friendliest narcissist, or what? Did, what was the term? What did the, we? Uh, I forget what we called him. He was the, or the, something that yeah, there was like a kind of a nice endearing term, but still a narcissist, but or the most likable narcissist. Yeah, he was a like yeah. Tony Stark was. We we were discussing that he's a likable narcissist. Yes, yeah, that's what. <laughs> so anyway, so some good entertainment there. I'll I'll post the links in the notes for my for my podcast. All those things so people can get to the cool cool. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right. So one of the things like you mentioned, like the, some of the men's issues that you deal with, I know probably a lot of women that are listening to the podcast, their ears per perked up when you talked about the idea of being able to open up their men emotionally or stuff like that. So I'm going to get to that. I want to get to that a little bit. That was one of the topics I wanted to cover. Um, so we're going to do a little teaser for anybody that thought, Oh, that's yeah, listen, like just keep, keep listening. Keep listening. You're going to learn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but the first thing I thought of, and I, it's funny, I actually had a male client this morning and I kind of asked him, what would you want to hear about as far as if you were a man listening to this podcast, what would you, would you want to listen to? And it kind of went off of this question a little bit because um, I know men often feel like they should have it all together, but really deep down, you know, we feel like maybe we're a little bit away from falling, like it all kind of just falling apart. And, but we've always got to kind of put on this sort of tough guy, guy code, kind of we don't talk about our feelings sort of type of thing. So what do you see with that, like when, what, like in your practice and kind of dealing with men? Well, that we're all right, like culturally, right, we're raised. And the first thing I usually do when I work with guys is like validate the crap out of that. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, we're, we're raised to be strong, right? The only emotion that culturally is acceptable for men to express is anger right? Competition, one-upping each other. So we're trained from, you know, I can remember what being picked last for the sports team, right? And that starts as early as seven, eight, nine, like being picked last. So that influences how am I going to show up, right? Can you show weakness? Can you be sad? Can you cry? No, that's just going to enforce you to be picked last yet again. So we develop this exterior. And the problem is it gets in the way, like it doesn't help us at work, right? We know emotionally intelligent people who can understand emotions and speak that language tend to be more successful at work. We know that when we're able to drop that facade and be more vulnerable, our relationships are better. We have better friendships. So it is this thing that I think that all men struggle with, which is we put up, we put up this, this facade and we don't even acknowledge that it's there. We just like pretend that we have to be macho. We have to be this strong person. 
And as soon as we just acknowledge like, okay, it's there. I get why it's there. Saying it's even a bad thing. Maybe it does need to be there sometimes, but I'm going to guess that most of the time it doesn't need to be there. And then once, like, if you believe that, if you can, if you can buy into that piece, then you can start doing a lot of really good work. Mm -hmm. So, so when you say like, you don't believe it's like, it even like needs to be there. Like, what's your thought on that as far as like, why is that the case? That, well, we, that I have found that success when we're more, when we're more vulnerable, when we can feel what's going on, when we pay attention to like action, it helps us in the long run, right? So before I became a therapist, I was um, in the retail world and I managed stores and I managed people for a decade and I wrote training materials. And the one thing that we always saw in the business world was when people were able to attune more, they were more successful. And I feel like a lot of business strategies actually apply to like a lot of interpersonal strategies, which is the more authentic we are to all parts of ourselves, the more success we'll see in all aspects of our life. And I think that we buy into this myth a lot of guys I talk with is like, we believe these stories. I believe the story that when um, I was growing up, I stood next to my father and my grandfather at church and they sat and they would just kind of cross their arms while everybody was singing. And I learned at four or five and six, men don't sing. Mm. Right. So we learn these myths and this is where this like facade develops. It's not even like we're actively taught it. Sometimes we are actively taught it, right? Boys don't cry and there's some of that. But most of the time, it's really, uns really um, unspoken. And the fact that we have to learn to challenge these things, because it was like, well, when I got to high school, I was like, I want to be in choir. I don't want to practice and march in the band, but I also want to go on trips. Cool. I'll be in choir. I'll sing. So I had to challenge that belief really early on. And, and then I found I've constantly been challenging that. And I felt like I've been more authentic to who I am. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of men, when they're struggling with maybe feeling some like imposter syndrome, or in their relationships or these other things is because they don't know how to listen to themselves. They don't know who, who to be. They're always trying to be what society or these beliefs they've been told are making them. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. I don't well, know. If I yeah, and I think that I really like the part about the beliefs that they kind of have. And do you find that do you find that a lot of people are able to identify like, like some of those moments, like, like you just described about, you know, the time in church or whatever. Do you think like, do you see like, I mean, cause I know for me, you know, I grew up with four brothers, no sisters on a farm. So it's like, I mean, it, that's a tough world, right? <laughs> yeah, not, absolutely. Not a, you don't cry. You don't do a lot of those things. I mean, I think we had a little bit more of it just because some of the experience that we had as, as, as a family, but overall, yeah, I mean, you look at those, those situations and it's like the belief is I've got to be tough or I've got to be competitive or I've got to do all these things that my brothers are doing to just even survive. Right. Yeah. I think we, we all are like all of humanity longing for a deeper understanding of stuff. But most of the time, we don't even give ourselves permission to think. We just are trying to fix and do. So most of the time, like talking about a belief system isn't fixing anything. Talking yeah. about how you learn this doesn't change anything, but it starts to create the opportunity for you to learn, oh, I don't have to believe this. And if I don't believe this, then what could I possibly be open to? Yeah. And I found that tends to be a lot more successful in growth is to give yourself permission to just explore the different parts of you and just to be okay with it. Like you yeah. might discover something you don't like, that's okay, but yeah. maybe there's a way it, it can serve you and sometimes it doesn't serve you. Right, and I think just the idea of like giving yourself permission to realize that, yeah, I mean, I've been sort of like brought up in this belief and, and I believe, or I've been made to feel like I, this is who I am or whatever, but maybe I don't have to believe that and maybe that's okay, right? Like the, yeah. there's a voice there. It's just not like a, 
okay, this is it. You know, this is what you have to do. <laughs> you can't. <Yeah. laughs> well, and so, so many times I have guys come in, like a lot of the guys that come see me individually, it's because they just got caught with an affair or they got caught for porn or caught some, something. Their, their partner usually says, you need therapy, go to therapy. And they show up and it's like, just, it's okay that you have all these things. Like, is it working for you? Is it not working for you? As long as like we can explore these things outside of judgment, people tend to then start to actually change more. But when there's so much judgment, of course we want to defend all these parts of ourselves. So that's where I I really encourage. And I think I've done really good work with guys that there's, I'm pretty an unintimidating guy. I'm not that tall. I'm not that big, like that I'm not intimidating. So I can then sit in this space without judgment. So then we're able to actually explore and make really big change. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, it's really good. So, so one of the things when I talked to my client this morning and kind of asked him about some of the things that he would want to hear, um, we talked, the word vulnerability came up and obviously that's a big kind of like trigger word for a lot of people as far as vulnerability. But the one thing that he said, and this maybe goes into the, the dynamic of like that whole belief system or what you maybe feel is really true versus what could be true. Mm -hmm. Uh, As he said, is that, you know, do women really, and it's, you know, and he's actually, his wife was there too. Do women really want us to be vulnerable? Because there's a part of us that feel like we have to be that protector. So if we do become vulnerable, is that really what they want? Or do they, do they just say they want it? But then if we do get vulnerable, are we then going to almost be like, um, maybe judged or criticized for that vulnerability, which any are they, are they, are they going are to see me as weak? Yeah. Weak. See, yeah, they're right. Exactly. And he used that word. Yeah. See me as weak. So any, what are your thoughts on that or how have you seen that point out? Or if I, that, I mean, yeah, I guess, how do they get over that? Right. I mean, yeah. or that a, well, cause a lot of the times I think what, what enforces that belief, right. Cause that's a belief, right. A partner's going to see me as weak. If I share, if I show him, the, mm-hmm. the thing I'm struggling with or I'm scared or I'm worried or I'm insecure, whatever that, that, yeah, that yeah, more yeah. uncomfortable emotion is. Because yeah. sometimes what will happen is I try to share that emotion and then my partner's not in the right place to hear it or I don't share it in a way that's actually like vulnerable. I think I'm being vulnerable, but I'm not. And then they use it against me, which yeah. reinforces like don't share anything. Right. I mean, vulnerability is icky. Yeah. Right? It's, it's uncomfortable. It's always going to be uncomfortable. It never gets easier. Like that's the whole essence of vulnerability. It doesn't get easier. It's just icky. Yeah. Yet it does drive connection. I can't, I mean, I'm sure you have the same experience. Like I've done tons of couples work and anytime you can help the couple get to a space where the man maybe lets down his guard, maybe even cries and he talks about something he's feeling. I've never not seen a partner like just lean in and tune in towards them. So it's hard. And sometimes they might use it against you, but it doesn't mean it doesn't work. Right. Like I always, I'm, I'm a realist with my clients, which is what you're doing right now. Isn't working. Mm-hmm. This is a path. It might not work hundred percent of the time, but it works a whole lot more than what you're already doing. So why not try something that works better? Yeah. And using that type of logic, I think it, it helps make the risk a little bit easier. Mm. Um, and it's just learning how to be more vulnerable, which learning how to be more vulnerable is different from actually just doing it, right? That guys need to learn how to identify what they're feeling, right? Okay, I'm not angry, I'm not annoyed, I'm not anxious, but maybe I'm scared, I'm worried. Maybe this is just so uncomfortable. I don't even know what it is, right? And then figuring out what they need and how to share it really in a direct, direct way, not a demanding way. Yeah, because I think like what you said is like a lot of times 
there's that perception that they are being vulnerable but what does that really look like to the other person i mean does it really does it kind of give the sense of vulnerability or is it sort of masked with this you know maybe tone or whatever it is that that could still convey something that isn't quite vulnerability and then like you said i think what ends up happening a lot of times in those situations is that because the response isn't what they want, then it's like you said, it's reinforced that, okay, it's not okay to be vulnerable or that didn't work or you're stupid, vulnerability is dumb or you know, whatever yeah. they come out with after that. But, but in the sense, it's like, there's still some work there to learn how to really be vulnerable. Yeah, that most, most men do something I call uh, vulnerability by PowerPoint, <laughs> right? So it's like this, this, that, like it's, and it's, it's so structured. Like there's no, there's, there's no emotion, right? So it's, it's, vulnerability means what I'm saying matches my tone and my affect and right. And if those things aren't all aligned, it's going to get lost. Mm-hmm. And vulnerability doesn't mean I'm crying. Yeah. It doesn't mean like my voice is cracking. It just means what I'm actually saying feels authentic. And you have to like, I think everybody has to figure out the ways they avoid vulnerability. Right. So I avoid vulnerability because I'm a talker. Um, I tell the story, right. So I have an emotion, then I wrap it in a story. And then I hand it to my partner. My partner's like, what the heck is this? They get lost in the story. Right. right. I don't see as many guys doing that. I definitely see more of the PowerPoint or the logic or the fix it. Right. They go straight to fix it mode versus like just sharing what's feeling. Yeah. Like, what are you feeling? What's going on? Where are right. you at? Or I think like what I've seen with a lot of guys is they share facts as vulnerability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's I, like, well, there's that's a different part of your brain. So let's focus on maybe like your emotional centers are different. That's why they're emotional. It's not logical. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, but I was sharing these important facts. Like, isn't that vulnerability? Well, they're just facts or I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a process. Yeah. Did it yeah. feel icky? No? no, probably not vulnerable. Probably not vulnerable. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's maybe, <laughs> I don't have a better word to describe it. Vulnerability is icky. Yeah. Like if you're going to be sharing something, it doesn't, it, eh. yeah, it's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel icky. It's going to just, yeah, it's going to put you in a uncomfortable place. Maybe you want to crawl out of your skin. Something's going to be, something's going to be different inside of you. It's just not going to feel yeah. the way you'd like it to feel, you know? So, all right. So that's, I mean, those are some good things on vulnerability. I think men do, obviously we do tend to struggle with it. I mean, obviously there is a sense of it's, it's a, they're, not only in just the practice of it, but like you said, just getting around that belief system about what it means to be vulnerable and how we can overcome that feeling of like not being weak because of our vulnerability. So, um, so one of the things I think is a big part of that for men. And if we could touch on this a little bit is just the idea of toxic shame. I know that's one of the things that you kind of refer to like on your website is just men in toxic shame. So I don't know if you want to explain a little bit about what you're, uh, perspective of toxic shame is and how that impacts men. <laughs> it's probably a big topic, but I know it's like just we'll the, it's that, the- uh, Ber- Brene Brown, who's the shame researcher, right, yeah. makes the joke that she says like when she doesn't want to talk to someone on the plane, she goes, "I study shame," and it immediately like shuts people down. <laughs> um, so just stick with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so shame is this really really uncomfortable emotion that sticks with us that tells us a story, right? Like it's that story in our head. And men develop this toxic story in our head. And sometimes we, based on our behavior, we will spiral into having too much of this toxic shame or too little, right? Sometimes there's an appropriate level of shame, 
I did something. I feel like I'm a bad person. I'm never going to do that thing again. Maybe that could be guilt. Like I think we could split hairs with like all this stuff, but toxic shame, I think is one of the reasons why men avoid vulnerability. They feel like they're not enough. They're letting someone down. They're going to be weak, right? They have these stories that develop from like five, six, seven, right? These myths develop the story we're telling ourselves which then is that toxic shame, which means we're never going to avoid closeness or connection. I can't tell my partner that I'm scared about this promotion because they're going to see me as weak and then they're going to think I'm not going to do it. So they're not going to support me. Right? Like we create all these stories. I had this story in my head around some of my shame when I was in graduate school. Mm -hmm. I was fairly good at graduate school. I had really good grades, but as soon as like I had a paper due, if I didn't get the top marks on it, I immediately went to, Oh, I'm stupid. I'm never going to graduate. What am I going to do? Right? Like, and it built so much anxiety in me because I had the shame narrative that I wasn't smart enough. And even to this day, like I'm aware of this, but even to this day, if someone like says, Oh, that thing on your website or the thing you spelled wasn't spelled right. I immediately go to that story. Cause I've had that story since I was in elementary school. So that's my shame that I carry. Luckily I've done enough work around it that I can talk about it and I recognize it when it comes up. And I think most of the time we don't even talk about shame or like some of these things that we tell ourselves as guys, like, no, everything's fine. I'm good. I'm okay. You know, I brush it off. And if we don't learn to talk about it, we're going to constantly be stuck by it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I, I definitely agree with that. I see a lot of that too. And I think one of the things that's it's interesting with a lot of guys that I see too, is just that their inability, even like, like they're so in denial of it, you know, a lot of them just because again, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like vulnerability. It's icky. It doesn't feel very good, but they have to also understand, I think with shame is that why it doesn't feel very good and what's attached to that. Like you said, those stories or the messages that are attached to that, but a lot of those stories and messages, especially with shame, are just not true. You know, they're not, they're not real, but we've allowed them to hold space and we've allowed them to just kind of be what they are without really questioning them. You know? we, give, we give them the energy of it being real, right? We believe it. So we, if we believe it. And then that's why we avoid vulnerability because I believe that I'm weak. And then if I share something with you and then you think I'm weak, it proves this shame narrative that I have in my head. Mm -hmm. And that's... I mean, this is why vulnerability and shame just go hand in hand so much because, and guys just are really bad at that because we do have a lot of pressure. We do have a lot of shame narratives that we hold on to. Right. Right. And then, like you said, and then it, it the, well, what Brene Brown says, you know, the process of kind of working through it, you know, obviously you got to be aware of it and then you got to be able to speak shame and talk about it. So again, those things that are uncomfortable. So when we're actually talking about our shame and what it is, which again, sounds counterintuitive to, to most men. So you want me to talk about the thing that makes me feel uncomfortable. That sounds like a trap, you know? <laughs> and I, so I do, um, I run a men's group for uh, porn addiction. Mm -hmm. And then usually, so I always have to meet with somebody first. I do intake and process stuff. I go, okay, I think you'd be good for the group. But in the first group, they have to talk about their story of what led them there. Mm -hmm. But what's amazing is as the group's grown, it, it has its own life of its own that everyone shares their story and everybody's in it together. There's a level of relief, right? When we can speak our shame story and other people can hear it, it's not as powerful. It doesn't hold as, as tight of a grip around us, which is why going to therapy or doing group or having safe people to share with. Like, should you share your shame narratives with anyone? No, like just because you're learning this doesn't mean you 
give it away to anyone. What it means is you need to find safe people who are going to hold space for you. Yeah. And I think, again, it's, it's easy to refer to Brene Brown because she is. The that's, what she, yeah, right. that's what she talks about. And, and that's what she says too, is like, you know, you, have, you, you know, people have to earn the right to hear your story, you know? Yep. And, and I think obviously there's certain stories that are very deep and stuff like that, that, that are, are that way. I think there's other parts about us that, that are really more shareable than we think with whoever, you know, that people mm -hmm. take from them. And so even just getting in the practice of that, I, I've noticed how, like you mentioned, you were in, you know, business stuff and sales before I've noticed, like even just in the business world and, and different things, how sharing your story has really become a big selling point in a lot of things, you know, because again, people want to feel that sense of connection to you and how are they feeling that connection through your vulnerability, through your, you know, who you are as a person. And a lot of that is kind of like allowing yourself to be open and, and get past that shame of like who I am is not good enough or who I am was broken or who I am was bad. But within those stories, a lot of times there's a, there's a powerful connection that people feel because they see that, you know, that depth of realness that they're able to relate to and they, and they, they yearn for it. Obviously they, they want to be able to do that themselves too. Um, but seeing other people do it is a big part of that as well. Well, in, I think, especially in like the business world, right now the the key term that gets thrown around a lot is imposter syndrome mm -hmm. imposter syndrome is about shame right there's a story i'm believing about myself which makes me feel like an imposter like that's how shame shows up and that almost is easier to talk about but it actually has more to do with shame so right so if we're trying to tackle our imposter syndrome we're actually having to tackle our belief system about ourselves. yeah yeah no, it's good. It's good. So, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, when it comes to shame, we could probably. There's a lot. There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and it really is. And I, and I think for men that are listening, it's important to understand too, that it is very much of a process to try to understand, especially if you're coming in from the place of like, not even really knowing what shame is. I, I know with some people, I have a, a hard time even getting them to understand what it is, you know, mm -hmm. Um, and then once they kind of understand what it is, then even them allowing themselves to identify they have it can feel really scary because again, what does that mean if I accept that I have shame? You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't mean anything. It means you're normal. It means you're like you and I, or, you know, we're, we're all in. Well, like, welcome, to, welcome to the human race. Right. <laughs> we all have it. So that just means that, that, you know, you're, you're finally, you know, joining us in that, in that endeavor. So, um, so just getting people to that place and allowing them to be okay with, understanding what it is, having it, and then going down the path of, okay, now this is what, you know, we can do to start to work with it. It definitely is a process. So it's not, you know, from a man's perspective, being able to say, hey, okay, here it is. Let me fix it. It's not quite that. that's Well, that, that's the logical response to emotions. Right. But that's not the logic of emotion. Mm -hmm. Right. That, that this emotional stuff, right? Because shame is an emotion. So it functions in a completely different part of our psyche, our soul. So what we have to do is learn the logic of it. And sometimes, and one of the, the key things I think for me to understand the logic of emotion means is we have to slow down. We have to sit with stuff. Like we just have to feel it. Yeah. I've, clients say to me, I say to clients all the time and they, they don't really feel like, what does that mean? I was like, you just need to feel your feeling, right? right? Okay, you're sad. Like, okay, feel being sad. Like we can't, we don't need to do anything with it right away. Do I want you to be in that space all the time or no, I don't like, but if we don't learn to just feel it, we won't know what to do with it. Yeah. So, and that's where I think a lot of guys get caught up is because we are trained to be so fix it uh, and we want to solve everything. It's like, okay, I get, okay. 
okay, I get there's this concept of shame. What do I need to do? Okay. Just yeah. Feel it. Recognize right. when it comes up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think too, when they think about fixing it, especially with shame, um, and I'm going to use your example that you gave too, is that I think it's like, well, once I fix it, it'll be done and gone. But I think the reality of shame is like you mentioned earlier, oh, wait a second. It still pops up. It still happens. It still tries to find its way into my psyche into my way of of story or thinking about myself it's still there it's just that we get better at identifying oh that's shame i know what it's trying to do and now i can you know talk through it in a different way so there isn't a fix it and be gone kind of mindset when it comes to shame that that this emotional work is just like lifting weights right like to begin with like you just actually have to go lift and then the more you do, the more weight you can lift and easier to understand like the proper form and everything else. It just becomes easier. You keep challenging yourself and growing. Yeah. And it's just doing it though, which means you have to sit in it. You have to feel it. And then you'll know what to do with it after you've sat in it for a while, but you won't be able to do anything with it until you know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. So uh, another topic I want to touch on with you, and this kind of goes back to something you said where the little teaser we had about you know, especially in couples, when you have a couple with you and you, you, you made this promise to women that you can help their men <laughs> become, uh, I guess, more in tune with their emotions. So, so how do you tend to help men increase their awareness with their emotions? What are some of the things that you uh, work with them on or help them with, I guess? Um, so there's some exercises I would do for like homework and stuff. Really, a lot of the times, uh, in the moment in couples therapy, I spend time just like, what just happened, right? Oh, you just took a deep breath. Like, what was that? Like, what did that feel like? Sometimes we're so disconnected from like our emotional responses, we don't even pay attention to our physical responses, right? Mm -hmm. That when I'm anxious, I'm automatically breathing faster or I feel tightness in my chest and I don't always pay attention to it. And if we, if, if we struggle with emotional awareness, you have to start to learn that language. And that first step is to pay attention to what you're physically feeling, right? I, I think so that's kind of the first step the yep. next step is labeling what that feeling is a great exercise to do is set an alarm to go off six times randomly in the day and have a an emotional like go to google and look up emotional words start to just label what you're feeling because we're probably feeling hundreds of thousands of things throughout the day but we don't always pay attention to even know just like if i said feel the gravity at your feet right now you could feel it but you didn't 30 seconds ago because you weren't paying attention to it. And part of emotional awareness and showing up for your partner emotionally means you have to start to learn that language, which means paying attention. Yeah. So that's the, that's kind of, for me, the first step in speaking that emotional language. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times for, for guys specifically, they tend to fall on this. Obviously it can be women too, but um, it's about 50 or maybe 60, 40 guys fall this 60% of the time, which is, we don't know how to empathize, which means we don't, when our partner shares a feeling, we go straight to like logically solving it versus, I think that's an important part of the structure, but really it needs to be, do you understand what your partner's feeling and have you validated it first? Mm -hmm. If you can understand what your partner's feeling, not agree with, not like, but understand what they're feeling, not why, but what, then say, it's okay that you feel that way. I get it you're feeling sad today. Totally. I get it. It's okay. You're okay with where you're at. I'm here. I'm safe for you. Mm -hmm. Then you could possibly go into logically problem solving it. But most of the time guys don't feel comfortable or they don't know what to do. And they 
feel like they have to solve it, that most times if you can just understand it and validate it, that's solving it. Yeah. And like, if you start to do that when like, and giving that structure, I think gives an outline to start to train yourself on how to show it more emotionally and more um, empathetically to your partner. And I've seen that work, like the structure I give always works. Like your partner has to lovingly share their, they have to own their feeling. They have to lovingly share it. Then you need to show up for it. But if you follow that, it works every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just definitely hard to do. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, because fighting off that, fighting off that logical side is very challenging, you know. And, um, you know, and I think what I've seen, and I think I even saw it in, 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 a, in a situation um, this week was kind of along those lines was the fact that the, when, when men go to that logic side, what, what it tends to be felt as on the other side or perceived as on the other side is defensiveness, right? And they may not even necessarily feel like they're being defensive. It's just like, it's just this, well, no, this is just my logical brain saying this is what it was, you know, but what that gets perceived as is defensiveness, you know? It sends the message, I don't care about your feelings because I'm trying to fix them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And then when a wife hears that, they don't necessarily. <laughs> well, then, they, then it creates the cycle, right? So I, I logically try to solve it. I'm sending the message, your feelings don't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to lovingly, you know, wife might say, I lovingly tried to share my feelings. Well, you didn't hear it that way. I'm going to up it. Like I'm going to turn the volume up. I'm going to share my feelings one way or the other. Sometimes that's shutting down and icy silence. Sometimes that's yelling. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, I don't know why you're mad. Well, because you, you missed an opportunity, right? right? Just to sit in it with them. Yeah. Hold that space. Yeah. Well, I definitely like the, I've, I've used the exercise. Like you said, not, I haven't done it like the six times a day, but just doing like the, the time where they can kind of identify a, a point where they get out a feelings list, whether they Google it or I give them yeah. one to look at and just giving more practice of identifying more than just I'm angry or <laughs> I'm sad or whatever, you know, the feelings that tend to be more common, just having that practice of reaching down deep and thinking, okay, what am I really feeling here? Yeah. I, I always like to introduce the concept of primary and secondary emotions, right? This thing that are primary emotions, what we're really feeling, the secondary comes out at extra. It usually protects us. So it pushes people away. Anxiety, anger, jealousy, right? There are certain emotions and they're real emotions. You're feeling them, but what they're doing is they're protecting something softer. So if you kind of understand that concept, then you can start to dig and be like, okay, I'm angry right now. What am I protecting? What's Mm -hmm. really going on? Right. And then you can go deeper. And as soon as you, like when you share a, a deeper primary emotion, it brings people closer. Like if you can share, I'm scared, I'm worried. It usually will always bring someone closer. When you say, I'm pissed off at you, your partner's going to be defensive. So that, that's another aspect of learning how to be learning the language of emotion is to recognize that there's always something deep, deeper and that we feel multiple things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, so one of the things that with that even too, I mean, just again, thinking about that from even the shame thing, I mean, all that stuff is a process. You're, you're trying to help men, um, I guess, debunk and debrain and, and, and get away from what are some of their ingrained kind of ways of being. So it, I mean, all that stuff is a process and hopefully, you know, clients can have that understanding and, and it takes time and there's going to be stumbling along the way. And hopefully, you know, as they go, they, they get better at it and improve and start yeah. to- 
<laughs> start to make strides. So when it comes to just communication itself, um, when, when men are coming in and they're trying to better their communication, does it really just kind of fall in the same way or what are, what do you see as some of the obstacles that they face just in terms of improving communication? If, if that's, yeah, I was like, there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, well, I, so most couples, when they come to see me, mm -hmm. they always say, we have a communication problem. Yeah, I right. First thing is, means, but that usually doesn't necessarily just mean communication. But, yeah. Yeah. Usually by the end of the first session, mm -hmm. I say, you know, it's funny. You say you have a communication problem, but you can talk to me just fine. Yeah. You guys have an emotional connection problem. You don't know what you're feeling. You don't know what you need. You don't know how to share it. Right. Cause a communication problem means I don't know. I don't, what I'm saying doesn't resonate with you, but you're talking to a complete stranger and I understand what you're saying. So it's not that there's literally a communication problem in that, in that sense. What will happen is because we have an emotional disconnect, then we fall into kind of the Gottman's four horsemen, right? We're critical, we're contemptuous, we're defensive. And when you experience those, those are going to keep you stuck. Yeah. Right? You can't be vulnerable if your partner's going to be contemptuous. Mm -hmm. You can't be vulnerable if your partner's stonewalling and not even engaging with you. Yeah. Right? So those are some really realistic things. So I, would, I always tell clients, like, you have to understand – you can't be contemptuous. You can't be criticism, criticizing like a complaint. Cool. Complain about a very specific behavior. You can't criticize a person's soul. You mm -hmm. can't criticize who they are. That doesn't work. So, I mean, really, so that's, that's one piece of it. I think another piece is that falls on guys a lot of the time is they struggle letting their partners influence them. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't always listen. We don't actually listen to what our partner's saying. They just say it and like, we go to fix it or we don't pay attention. So learning to be a better cheerleader, learning to let your partner influence you are ways that will automatically improve communication. Yeah. Um, I always, I would recommend like, you don't just read the five love languages and think that's going to solve everything. Like that's a great book if we're emotionally connected. But I think a lot of times when we have communication problems where we're not, we try these quick fixes of, oh, I just, I'll buy gifts or I'll do the acts of service and that fixes and it doesn't fix anything. Right. So it, it is more of the deeper work, which is understanding the emotion and then learning to avoid certain behaviors, criticisms, contempt, yeah. to have better communication. Yeah, and I agree with you on, on a lot of those things, just as far as like the dynamic of like when people come in, I've just said the same thing to people. Like, I don't think you have a communication problem. You're communicating just fine. So there's something else underneath that, whether it's, you know, um, I like the, the idea of you have an emotional connection problem. Um, but like you said, if people come in and they, they're wrapped up in those four horsemen, the contempt, the criticism, the stonewalling, I mean, there's, there's parts of that that they, they don't even let their communication really get off the ground because when somebody does, you know, start to communicate in some way, as soon as they're met with defensiveness or criticism, it's just like, okay, now, so really they have a communication pattern that they've kind of come into that is really destructive and it's about breaking that pattern or allowing themselves to maybe even to get out of that pattern. Right. Because sometimes we don't even let each other get out of that pattern. Cause as soon as we, we feel defensiveness, it's like we automatically now, okay, you're defensive towards me. Well, now I'm going to stonewall you or now I'm going to criticize you or whatever. And so it just becomes this toxic back and forth of, of crap, mess, whatever yeah. <laughs> that has to be detangled. Well, and if, if we don't learn how to identify our cycle, we can't yeah. stop it. So identifying our cycle means we own our own part of it. 
not, mm. we don't tell our partner what they're doing wrong. We go, oh, I'm sorry, I was defensive. Mm-hmm. Like we, if you want to improve your communication, only own your part. Stop telling your partner what they're doing. Own your own part. Right, right. That's good. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> when you're telling them, it's like, this is how I felt while you were doing that rather than do this or whatever. It's more again, still just like, hey, you did this and it made me feel something or I felt like while you were explaining, you know, giving me your facts or doing whatever that this is how it made me feel or, you know, something of that nature. So, but yeah, definitely. So it sounds like then as far as when men come in and they want to have a better sense of communication, it really just still goes back to them being able to be somewhat vulnerable, but also understanding, you know, that it's different than, I mean, communication problem is not really the fact that they don't know how to say certain things. It's about maybe being more in tune with, um, like I said, their pattern and kind of some of the things that they're, they've fallen into, I guess, as a result of um, prior stuff or whatever. That Yeah, and that men can actually improve their relationship all on their own. I've worked with plenty of guys who've come in by themselves and have seen amazing improvements in their relationship because they've just shown up differently. Mm-hmm. And it just takes one person to do the work. Um, and I think sometimes that's where we – we go back to what we talked about at the beginning, right? The shame and everything, all the belief systems we have keep us stuck. But if we can challenge that, then we can learn more about ourselves and we can show up completely differently. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think that's good. So when it comes to just your overall sense of working with men, is there any kind of like, um, I mean, I know we've touched on a lot of different things, but is there any, I don't know, not necessarily, obviously we know there's no magic button or magic but like what are some of the key things that you've just found that men need to be i guess aware of or things that they can take from this this podcast would you say that would be helpful for them like immediately immediately so something really practical yeah (laughs) (laughs) um not fix it type of stuff yeah 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 um So if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, so you can see I'm like in my thinking space. Um, if you are listening to this and you're realizing like, okay, there's maybe parts of me that I'm not fully aware of, but you don't even know where to begin to explore those things. What an exercise I love to do with clients that I think can be incredibly helpful is go to your top 10 favorite movies. Rewatch them. Pay attention to which characters you like. What is it about those characters that you like so much? Because it's a good chance it's a reflection of a part of you. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to become more curious about all these parts of you. And then when you're more curious about these parts of you, you can then start to explore like your like shame stories or other things that come up because you might really like maybe the villain, right? So like, oh, I watched the Avengers and I really like Loki. What is it about Loki? Oh, he's mischievous. Oh, maybe I have a mis- that part of me. Maybe I don't like hearing that that's a part of me. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe yeah. I, I'm really uh, gladiator is one of my favorite movies, but you know, the main characters Matt, you know, Maximus is not emotionally present. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's me. Like I want to be a warrior, but I am totally emotionally unimpresent. Okay. What do I do with that? Right. So that's a good way that, especially if you're like, if you can't even think about like, what is shame mm-hmm. paying attention to the things that you, you like characters you like will teach you a lot more about yourself. Well, I, I like that. Can I ask you something then? Who, yeah, yeah, go for it. Who's your favorite? Who do you identify? Okay. 
So here's this is my example I give clients all the time is um, I loved Gandalf. Yeah. Like even when I read the books before the Lord of the Rings came out, right? Love Gandalf, love Dumbledore. Mm. Okay, so what is it about the old wise wizard? They come into a hero's story and they leave. It's kind of my job as the therapist, mm. right? I have some wisdom. I see things from a different angle, a different perspective. I teach, but I'm not the hero, right? I kind of come in and come out, right? And when I made that connection is actually when I left my old career and I went back to school to become a therapist and I've felt more fulfilled since then. So this is where, this, this is a totally different piece, but it's a part of therapy I do, which is looking at like archetypes and other pieces of ourselves teach us a lot more about ourselves. Cause when we know all these parts, then we can integrate them and we tend to live more authentically. And it's easier to be vulnerable because yeah. we know who we are. Right, right. All right, so you got me thinking. So <laughs> okay. I can tell you my answer because I think this is cool. Yeah. It's actually a really good extra. I think it's because I've, I've often thought about it from that perspective of why do these movies, you know, I mean, I, I know why because I've thought about it, but like certain movies do get me more than other. Even though my wife will say I don't cry, but I get emotional. And then uh-huh. I don't maybe don't tears out as much, but I definitely get emotional. But I'm a big underdog fan, you know, like any movie with an underdog character, like growing up, like the Karate Kid, those kind of movies, they always just like, and even today when I rewatch them, it's like they're, they're packed full of emotion and they still get to me because that's part of, like part of my shame goes into feeling like an underdog growing up. I grew up in a small town. There was a lot of like weird stuff as just as far as, you know, like who you were in the community and stuff. And so not feeling maybe like you always measured up or that you were given a chance. So the idea when the underdog kind of is comes through and is successful and does well in life or, you know, overcomes some obstacles that, you know, that gets me right there. So I'm definitely identified with that. And like you said, that's a part of my, you know, kind of fight with shame, right? That I can be good enough or I can be, you know, successful in whatever regardless of what people are throwing at me. and if you were to get into a fight with your wife and you were feeling like the underdog it's that part of you is getting activated but if you don't know this you're just going to react from it but now you can act oh oh this is this part of me that's getting activated what do i need to do with it right now right right yeah i like that that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, yeah they're fun actually i love i have some whiteboards in my office and i t- always give clients homework like Watch your favorite movies, bring them in, let's, let's dissect them. And we put them all down. And it's like amazing to see the themes that start to come up from some of these characters. Cause it really, it's more about you than it is about the character. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to go watch some movies. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't help that I'm a movie buff. So I like, like well, that stuff. <laughs> your podcast is about Disney movies. And that's kind of what we do in that podcast is we, we, we just started it. Like we're only eight episodes in, so it's brand new, but we'll watch a movie and we dissect all the different themes or we done ones where we're talking, like we just recorded one this last weekend on grief. Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we sometimes use an emotional theme and then look at movies and how it teaches us. Then sometimes we actually just dissect movies. So yeah, that's what oh, we do. Yeah. It's good. It's good. All right. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you. You got a lot of great stuff and I'm sure yeah. you're very happy to have you as a therapist because you got some good insight and, Thank you so much for having me. I, pre- I appreciate being on. It's nice. Yeah, it's good. So I uh, look forward to putting this out and so everybody can get some, some good uh, insight into how to be a better emotional man. <laughs> yeah. So thanks again and, uh, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon.
helpful. Thank you. All right. I just want to thank Tyler again for coming in and sharing those important and valuable uh, tips about men and our emotions and overcoming our negative beliefs that we have in relation to in relation to emotions. Um, if you're like me, I think you probably noticed I really like his last exercise. And it's kind of like a, a non-threatening way to start that process of getting in touch with our emotions. Uh, go watch the movies. Enjoy yourself. Try to identify the characters that you identify with and why you're identifying with them and the emotions that come up for you. Um, I think that's a great strategy and a way to begin that process. A um, couple things that I wanted just to share before I, before I'm done. Um, I do being June, I know it's father's day this month. I wanted to gear most of my episodes this month towards men and, and mental health issues and relationship to men. Um, and so this is kind of getting it off to a good start. Uh, but I wanted to go over a couple myths that are out there with men when it comes to mental health and their emotions. Obviously, the first one that we covered was men just don't get emotional. I think men do get emotional. Obviously, it may be more difficult for them to share that, but they do get emotional. And I think as we are more willing to, um, I guess, be in touch with our emotions, the easier it will be to share and be vulnerable and get comfortable with that ickiness that we talked about. And just allowing ourselves to move through that discomfort and share um, what emotions that we do have. The second myth that I think is really important is that men can recover on their own. This um, is basically the myth that men just don't need treatment for their mental health. They can just get over it, shrug it off, man up. Sad, and sadly, a lot of men take this to heart. Um, and it shows in the statistics. According to one study, Women are more likely to report mental health-related symptoms to their provider. Um, so it should go without saying that men should mostly, most certainly get help for their conditions, especially when they feel that their possible conditions are negatively impacting their life in any way. Plus, the sooner that they get diagnosed, the faster that they can get uh, treatment in, in, in order and get it started. So, so if you're out there and you feel like it's weak or not cool or whatever it may be, whatever belief you have to ask for help, please don't let that stop you. Please allow yourself to get over that guy code or whatever it is that's it's maybe stopping you from asking for help because um, we can't always sugar it off. We can't always just get over it. Um, some things are more complicated than that and we need to ask for help and it's okay to do that. Obviously, as a licensed professional, um, I think it's a good thing. I know a lot of the men that come into my office and they start to open up and start to talk about things that are weighing on them. It's a huge relief for them that they can finally unload and just talk about those stressors and the pressures that they feel and start to be more comfortable with getting in touch with those emotions. And it really does help to improve their lives as they're able to do that. So um, that's my uh, wish for everybody that we can do that, that we can um, get over those negative beliefs that we have about opening up and asking for help. Uh, this is The Vegas Therapist signing off until next time. Have a good one.